Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Kim Powell is co-leader of the CEO Genome Project and a principal at GH Smart, where she advises Fortune 500 senior executives, private equity firms, and nonprofit leaders in the areas of management assessment, leadership coaching, and organizational change prior to joining GH Smart. Kim spent 15 years with the Boston Consulting Group advising CEOs and senior managers of Fortune 500 companies in the areas of driving transformational change and corporate strategy. She's co-author, along with Elena Botello, of an amazing new book entitled The CEO Next Door. Kim, welcome to AMA Edgewise. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. The AMA, I'd like to think our noble cause is sort of taking care of those people who ideally are those people who've just become managers. You know, they're new to management. They might have been all-star individual contributor, performers, whatever, informal leader kind of things you know, people who aspire to leadership, whatever. And we're kind of the warm little campfire that they gather around. We help them, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people are interested in when they hear about a book like this or they want to know more about a book like this, you know, some of the first questions tend toward, that's an amazing idea for a book. What's the backstory on the book? What brought you and Elena to undertake this type of research? Give us a little bit of hindsight into the inspiration. What is the survey about? You know, talk to us about your interviews, participant credential type things. Just give us some backstory. Of course. Yeah. Well, first off, it was a long gestation. <laughs> And it's important to understand the data on which the research was done before we dive into what we did with the data. Because as a firm, we spend our days helping with the toughest talent decisions that boards and CEOs have to make. And in our work, what we do is leadership assessments. Mm -hmm. So these are very in-depth, typically five-hour They go through early years to education, to every role every leader has ever held in their career. And we talk about what went well, what didn't go well. And we really understand the behaviors they exhibited across their career. So if you can imagine, we've done 17, over 17,000 of these over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so we stepped in and said, huh, a very interesting data set. There's a lot that could be done with this. Obviously, for the research for the book, we skimmed off the CEOs, but we spend our time with all sorts of leaders Mm -hmm. conducting these assessments and helping guide on talent decisions. And so the spirit of the research was really, gosh, if there's a way to unlock what we have learned Mm -hmm. and really get that message and insight, those insights out to a Mm -hmm. much broader population, then I and Elena feel like we've done our job. For us, it was a pretty inspirational process to recognize what we were seeing every day in our work wasn't necessarily what was being published in the media around Mm -hmm. what a CEO looks like. Like Your mental image is something. Of course. I I could guess what that might be Mm -hmm. based on the myths that I've seen. Exactly. And that was, there was dissonance with what we had been seeing day to day. Mm -hmm. And we thought, gosh, if we could broaden the aperture, look at our data set, which is representative of different size companies, not just the 500 biggest CEOs, for example. Obviously, we do have public companies in our data set as well, but it's representative across industries, across sizes. We might be able to unlock what a CEO really looks like and what does it take to get to the seat and what behaviors did they practice across their career, which would be relevant for anybody at any point in their career who, for anyone who wants to continue to achieve and get high performance, et cetera. So, 
Yeah, that was kind of the inspiration. I will tell you personally, you know, we did, in addition to the quantitative research on the assessments, we also did interviews to unlock the stories for the book. And it was really inspirational. That's I mean, cool. For me, I mean, I'm not a CEO, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I felt like after those interviews, I could be. Right? Sure. You, when you start to really understand what's behind the office of the CEO and you see the human and you do see the mistakes and you hear them talk about the challenges and you sure. think, you know, maybe that's more doable than I would have imagined. And so I walked away energized, motivated, and hopefully – the tools, approaches, tactics, behaviors, et cetera, in the book will be helpful to many. And maybe it will help folks see that it's more accessible. Certainly greater leadership roles might be more accessible than they would have thought. Some people who've actually sat in that chair and talked into that microphone there would have us believe that CEOs are predestined Mm. uh, to take on that role, either due to their superpowers uh, (laughs) or their connections. Now, did your research support or sync that type of thinking? Yeah. So we were lucky in that the world of analytics has progressed so much because our data is text-based data. So we worked with the SAS organization in D.C., fabulous machine learning tools and algorithms and they applied it to our data and so we had this opportunity which wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago to Mm -hmm. look at what's correlated with high performance versus what's correlated with being hired and that was really what led to some of the myth busting that you see in the book that you're talking about exactly so a number of things came out in that research number one pedigree wasn't correlated with performance interestingly we had more CEOs in our data set that did not have a college degree, mm-hmm. they did not finish college, than actually had graduated from an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Don't have to graduate from Harvard to be a CEO. That's good. You know, I also think that our society really celebrates the charismatic, mm-hmm. extroverted, party central, larger than life hero persona. The, the heroic, the myth of the, myth of the hero. The myth yeah. of the hero CEO. And our data would say over a third of the CEOs self-identified as introverts. Mm-hmm. And the introverts were slightly more likely to exceed expectations than the rest of the data set. So I uh, don't know. I don't know. that. I mean, certainly you can be extroverted, but our data would say actually introverts are as good or if not better performers. How important is it for a, an aspiring CEO to surround themselves with the right people? What thought and effort should go into building their, their team? Great question, because when we talked with 100 CEOs, the number one mistake they recalled from their first time in the seat related to the team, specifically either not getting the right people on the team for what they needed to do or not moving fast enough to get those people into those roles, which I was really surprised by because these are very accomplished leaders. They've clearly built teams across their career or they wouldn't be where they are, and yet it was their number one pain point and mistake when they looked back. Mm -hmm. So I think it's critically important. I think when CEOs step into the role for the first time, or frankly, any senior leader steps into the role for the first time, Mm -hmm. you almost by definition are facing either new levers at your disposal to create value, or you're facing different dynamics and contexts around you. You're facing a new team. And I think what we see, or at least we heard from these CEOs, was that they tend to fall back on what feels safe, Mm -hmm. particularly when it relates to people. 
So they grab their blue blankies, <laughs> right? And they want the loyal individuals they've worked with. And what they then reflect on is they failed to think about whether the goal or the context or the environment was different mm-hmm. in this new role, in this new moment in time. Mm-hmm. And it's really about building the leader or the set of leaders around you that are able to achieve the objectives that are the go-forward objectives in that new role. Mm -hmm. And that might not be the same people or the same skill sets or the same capabilities or experiences, particularly when life is changing so quickly around Mm us. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the interesting data points that we came across, Richard Foster, the professor out of Yale, has done some work to show the lifespan of, I believe it was a U.S. company, Mm -hmm. has been cut by more than half. the number of years over the last number of decades. So it's just, it's a piece of evidence that just supports the, what we all feel every day, which is life's moving fast, technology's moving fast. And so if you think about your team, if you fall back on what has felt safer has gotten you to this point, that may not be the right constellation of skills and experiences to get you where you need to go. It's funny, not too long ago, okay, fine, a long time ago, (laughs) you had, you know, thinking about what it was to be one of the best companies in the world. You had this whole, you know, early Tom Peters sort of in search of excellence type of thing. What's repeating back on me is how many of those companies and their leaders, even in that book, just aren't even around Mm -hmm. right now because of the speed of change, Mm -hmm. the rate of innovation, Mm -hmm. shifting alliances, globalization, all, all of that stuff. So the game board is always changing. So I, I would imagine, I would that would I would infer yes. that a, a, a great CEO, a good CEO has to have a mind toward that type of flexibility Correct. with their type of thinking. Correct. I mean, so there were four behaviors correlated with high performance in the book, one of which was adaptability. Mm-hmm. So it's like precisely to that point. What we saw is from a time allocation perspective, if you compare a given leader before they're in the CEO seat to after they're in the CEO seat, you see the amount of time increase Mm -hmm. that they're spending thinking about the future, that they're spending external to gather new ideas, be industry oriented, and just future focused to think ahead, not through the rear view mirror, but to think forward around where does my organization need to go. So back to the team point, you need to have a team that can help you get there. And safety is one thing. The other I would say is just they often fall prey to what tends to get you hired is not necessarily what tends to lead to high performance. So those behaviors that were correlated with high performance weren't necessarily the same that led you to get hired. Sure. There was only one that was consistent, which was reliable delivery. Sure. The others weren't correlated to being hired. And what does correlate to being hired is likability. The mm-hmm. warmth, the energy, the likability that you bring to the seat is something that's immediately gravitational when mm-hmm. you're trying to make a decision in a one-off interview. And so I do think you f- you see people fall prey to behaviors that aren't performance or you know, driving behaviors in an interview process so that maybe they pick the wrong individual. Sure. They can fall prey to pedigree and some of those myths or biases that sure. we see. And so, you know, if they're sourcing from the outside, typically it's a you know fifty fifty coin flip whether you actually get someone who's successful in the seat two years down the road. Uh, that's an interesting question because that raises the, the what used to be called the idea of the universal manager, you know, mm. the universal CEO, you know, who was somebody who was a success someplace else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and who can transfer that to a brand new assignment. And and now if you look at even a couple of noteworthy people, Alan Mulally comes to mind yes. for me. 
that's extremely difficult to do. You know what I mean? Because you have deep, you have deep industry knowledge, you have deep market knowledge, you have deep product knowledge, and the ability to sort of rise above that and even jump from industry or market to market is that's that's well, crazy. We call it the all weather CEO is sure. one of the myths actually we it bust is a myth, in the isn't book. It? Sure it, it is. Yeah. So I mean, what we saw is the successful CEOs were really thoughtful about is this particular opportunity a match. Right for my capabilities and my skill sets. And I would say personally, spending years assessing very capable, impressive CEOs, I mean, there are some that I say are not going to do well in this environment. They want a visionary, brand-building, go-to-market focus sales engine rewiring, Mm -hmm. and this is an amazing operational CEO, right? Not going to be a fit. Extremely talented CEO would define him as a he has been successful, but he wouldn't be a fit to the context I was particularly evaluating and supporting. Not, not what the company needs. Not what the company needs, hmm. right? So we reviewed a database of firing. So when CEOs get fired, sure. we talked to boards and tried to tease out what were the main drivers for that decision. And the number one leading driver is failure to fit for what that particular company needs at that point in time. Timing is bad. And some of the CEOs we interviewed for the book talked a lot about having learned from, you know, uh, basically falling prey to the opportunity and realizing it wasn't a fit and then how they've actually used that knowledge to get smarter and better about pinpointing their next opportunity. So one of them had written basically a mission statement and detailed guidelines and what would be needed for him to be successful in the next role and used that as a way to shape his response to certain opportunities. And I think it's really smart knowing and, you know, nothing's a perfect fit, but to the extent that you're cognizant of of what will put you at your best Mm -hmm. and you use that to screen opportunities, you're much more likely to be successful. What important lessons can a great leader derive from failure? Mm, Failure. It's a loaded word. (laughs) So in our text-based research, leaders who talk about their past or experiences using the term failure were half as likely to be successful. And I think it's a mindset issue here. Whereas the successful CEOs would talk about the opportunity to grow, the lessons learned, the things that they applied and did differently. Those that like framed it as a failure, it did not seem they could reflect and learn and take those lessons and do it differently the next time. Interesting. Well, what we saw was about half, just under half of the successful CEOs Mm -hmm. had major blowups in their career. When you look across the history of their career, They've lost jobs. They've destroyed value. They had messed up mergers. It didn't, you know, capture the synergies. I mean, there it happens. <laughs> but you don't every day. You just don't. You don't see it. You don't sure. think about it. You see the stories in sure. Fortune Forbes, whatever, and you think these folks have never messed anything up like that. Yeah. And so you've got to. I think it's back to kind of the growth mindset. I think you know, Carol Dweck's book is amazing. The reframing of failure as failure to failure as an opportunity to learn right, right. and do it differently and celebrating that culture is, I think, really important. There was a story in the book around children's healthcare of Philadelphia. So CHOP, Madeline Bell is the CEO, and how they've instilled this culture where they celebrate what they call good catches. Yeah. So Let's celebrate the fact that you actually caught this at the moment of a quote-unquote failure, if you, or mistake. 
And the fact that you've raised that, we've addressed it, we've put in processes, we got, we got to root cause, we put in processes, we fixed it, is actually a win for us, yeah. not a failure. Right. And so I do think there's not just you know, beyond the individual mindset, there's also an implication for the organization and yeah. how you set up your culture. That's cool. Is there a place for a sense of humor in this whole you know, thing, you know, leadership, CEOs, or, or should it be all business? <laughs> do you, do you have business. a do you have a preferred answer to this question? <laughs> I'm, I have my own, but I haven't written my book yet. Oh, so right, you go all ahead. Right. No, I think the number one takeaway from the research we did is you have to be authentic. Sure. So can humor work? It absolutely can work, but not if you're not humorous or funny. So this is not a prescriptive mm-hmm. answer, if you will. Sure. You have to be yourself. Sure. One of my favorite stories from the research was Mary Berner. She's been a CEO multiple times, but she had gone through a tough time at Reader's Digest back in the day and had to cut half her staff. So she showed up at a leadership team meeting. It was around Halloween, dressed as Wicked Witch of the West, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, tough times require tough, courageous decisions. Nobody likes to make those decisions. Those are really hard. And so she figured, why not frame myself as evil? Because, you know, it's tough. And might as well get people to laugh, at least in the moment, in relation to her. Like, gather the ire directed at her. I thought that was a, a funny anecdote. That is cool. All right. So let's wrap up here with, as I mentioned before, you know, what the AMA is and what role I think we play out there in the the management leadership community. What's in this book for the new manager or the aspiring leader? Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. One is the behaviors that were correlated to success are buildable muscles. These are muscles that can be strengthened. They're it, not... It can be taught. It can be learned. Yes, you can practice it. And you can practice. These are not inherent God-given traits. You know, it's not IQ, your height, you know, th- that type of thing. Right. And so that's encouraging. So... The other thing is the CEOs exhibited these behaviors and were building these behaviors across their career. So mm-hmm. there are definitely plenty of stories and tools and approaches and ways to practice getting stronger on decisiveness, adaptability, delivering reliably, and engaging for results. So that's one. I think the other is you know, we did go and look at what helped some of the CEOs get to the seat faster than average mm-hmm. and looked at those career paths. What opportunities were they given? What experiences did they have? What choices did they make that were common across mm-hmm. that set of very accelerated leaders? And so I do think there's some interesting lessons there for someone at any stage in their career. Sure. That's cool. We've been speaking to Kim Powell, who is co-author, along with Elena Botello, of The CEO Next Door, The Four Behaviors That Transform Ordinary People into World-Class Leaders. Kim, great to meet you, and good luck with the book. Thank you so much. Follow American Management Association on Twitter to learn more about upcoming free programs, the latest news, management insights, and special offers. You can follow us at A-M-A-N-E-T. That's A-M-A-N-E-T. Hope to tweet to you real soon. feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 